0: A few weeks ago, I began uh, our new sermon series, Hearing God. And the first week, we discussed how Jesus is what God sounds like. He is the living word. Uh, Hearing his voice is not so much a, a skill that we master as it is the master we meet. And it's an ongoing relationship with him. He didn't speak once And then never get involved again. He is always speaking. And last week we looked at how we are to hear God through his written word. And honestly the prophetic word this morning and what Wade was sharing is so in keeping with that. Um, We have to learn how to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. What is called a Christological hermeneutic. The way you see scripture is through Jesus. And if we do that, we will be reading with our heads, but also with our hearts. And this morning, we're gonna do the second part of that message, so we'll continue to look at hearing God through his written word. So you can see how uh, the prophetic word and what Wade was sharing is in keeping with what the Spirit is saying today. Now, I don't believe that it's a stretch Uh, to say that all of us come to the Bible with some sort of backstory of our own. We all have a story that brings us here this morning, and they're not all the same. Some experience uh, or perception that has hit us, that has colored our view of the Bible, or has um, eroded our belief in it, or which has challenged our understanding of it or has reinforced our adherence to it. We all have a story. We all have backgrounds and values and experiences and upbringings that shape the way we see life and how we're to live into life. And so it is no surprise that no one comes to the Bible with a completely clean slate. You may be sitting here a believer. You may be sitting here a skeptic. Maybe you've read it a lot or only a little or not at all. Maybe you've read it more analytically or maybe you tend to read it more emotionally. Maybe you're very open to what it has to say. Maybe you're somewhat suspicious. I think some of us come wanting to know more and we want to feed upon it and we want it to light our way, but others come with our guard up because we've seen the Bible used as a weapon, a weapon to win an argument or to prove a superior position. And we've heard the stories how this very Bible has been used to justify things like slavery and war and depression and conquest. There's still others here sitting today that, that just love Jesus. We love Jesus, but we're not so sure about all of the Bible. Like those genealogies, what are those all about? And animal sacrifices, so much blood and all the horrific evils that it spells out, and all the wrath that God pours out. If we're honest with ourselves, there are parts, maybe big parts of the Bible, we would just as soon ignore or avoid altogether. But what I hope to help us see today, and I hope the Holy Spirit can help each of us see, is that that's really not an option if we love Jesus. Because Jesus loved the word. Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. We don't get to pick and choose the parts that we like and the parts that we're going to follow. As followers of Jesus, And you may be one today, and you may be one still seeking and searching and wondering if that's something you really want to buy into. But I'm here to tell you, whether you're in that camp or whether you're following Jesus, the process will include God's word. It will include scripture. It will include the errant word of God. And as his followers, we are on this journey of discovering that the Bible is the greatest source of guidance and direction. It is a lamp to our feet, and it is a light to our path. It's a firm foundation on which we can build our lives. And it's never changing. It's always true. It's settled forever, alive and active, like a two-edged sword, able to convict us of sin and to dispel our self-deception. So learning how to hear God's voice in his written word is crucial. It is essential. It is paramount to our maturity as believers and our spiritual formation into Christ-likeness. The word is central and hearing God's voice through his written word starts with one simple step. Reading it. I know I tried to think of something much more profound and eloquent. I know I had you hanging there. You were looking at me like, here it goes, I'm ready. And then I said reading it and you're like, wah, wah, I tried to, but that's really where it starts. In a study by the Center of Bible Engagement in 2009, 40,000 people were polled ages 8 to 80 to see how they were engaging Scripture. They found that when people engaged the Bible one or two times a week, which might include the pastor saying, Open up your Bibles with me, that's an engagement. If they did it one or two times a week, there was nominal effect in their life. If a person engaged the Bible three times a week, there was a bit of a a, a spurt, a movement up in behavior of that person, but not a lot. But here's what's fascinating. When four days of biblical engagement were reached a week, the spikes, the effects spiked in an astounding way. For example, Feelings of loneliness dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Sharing your faith jumped 200%. And Discipling others jumped 230%. These are incredible findings pointing to profound benefit for those who would engage the Bible at least four times a week. But what's even more stunning to me is that reading it less than four times a week gets you basically the same effect as not reading it at all. What does that tell us? Now, while you're chronicling how many times you engaged the Bible this last week, my point is not to legalistically instruct us to have a rigid Bible reading. My point is, is to help us engage the living word of God. Because in that place, Jesus through the Holy Spirit is able to change us, alter our motives, change our behaviors and draw out of us a righteousness that he has imputed to us from his cross. Engagement with the word makes sense. I was telling some guys that I prayed with on Friday morning that it's about spending time with him. And if I treated my wife the way sometimes I treat the Lord in his word, it wouldn't go very well for me. If I ignored her, like oftentimes I ignore him, she would let me know about it. Your wife or husband would too. And yet that's how we treat the Lord, as if it's an option, as if it's just something we can add on. Oh yeah, maybe I should read the Bible today. It all starts with me just picking it up and opening it and reading it. So many people like, I don't understand. I have all these problems. I have these dilemmas. Have you read it? Start with the Gospels. Read it. I showed you all sorts of tools last week that can help you in your studying and learning of it. But pick it up and read it. It all starts with me picking it up and reading it. And then, as we do that, it begins to read us, and that matters just as much. You know, in the New Testament, there were two different religious sects that uh, were in Jesus' day. There are actually more, the scenes and others, but the two that we're actually most familiar with, and one in particular, are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were religious sects, each with a distinct view on what it means to read the word or read scripture and how to interpret scripture. The Sadducees were a very well-educated aristocratic sect and they prided themselves on their wealth and their status. Um, They wielded vast power in the Jewish temple and they were known for their devotion to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, but they were also notorious For their corruption. They refused to believe anything supernatural. So no angels or demons, no heaven or hell, no miracles or resurrection. When you died to the Sadducee, that was it. And they had what one pastor Tyler Staten says a take it or leave it approach to scripture because they saw the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as the only sacred text. They left out and omitted the Psalms and the Proverbs and and, and many, most of the prophetic writings. What we see with the Sadducees is that they were accommodating scripture to their culture and they were reshaping the Bible to fit neatly into their lives, and quite frankly, it cost them much of nothing. That's what begs a question for us today. When was the last time that your allegiance to the Bible cost you something? Are we more in common with the Sadducees than we care to admit? where we accommodate or adjust the biblical story into our personal and social lives rather than the other way around are we adding it to us only the portions we like and ignoring all the rest the other group was someone a group that we are more familiar with the pharisees they they took the bible very seriously um In a Pharisee family, four-year-old boys memorized the whole book of Leviticus. And that was without YouTube or devices. Um, By the time they were 12, they had memorized the whole Torah. You got excited when you memorized that one little verse. Have faith in God. That was a really big challenge for you. Or Jesus wept. That was my favorite one got a whole, you know, point for camp for just Jesus wept. They never used it at camp. Anyway, they memorized the whole first 5 books of the Bible by the time they were 12. When they were teenagers, they then memorized the prophets and psalms. They took the Bible seriously. <clears throat> and every stroke of the law was a, a matter of serious intent. They took it seriously and then they made extra rules to make sure the law would not be broken. They added rules to the rule of God so that people wouldn't get close to breaking it. That way they might not break it. One writer explained it this way. Imagine there was a law, imagine that was said, do not walk on the grass on Tuesdays. If that was a law, A Pharisee would ensure that law was kept by adding rules such as on Tuesdays keep a mile between your feet and the grass or do not plant grass within the city or do not build a house on the grass. These were extra rules to keep you to obey the rule. They took God's word and turned it into a juggernaut of a system creating more laws to keep the law. But these added rules, something Jesus called the traditions of men. He still didn't address the real issue. You might keep the law in appearance on the outside, but if your heart isn't pure, you're not keeping the law. Jesus called this out very clearly in his Sermon on the Mount. There in Matthew 5, that we'll get to a portion of in a minute. So, What did Jesus think about how these two camps read and interpreted the Bible? What was his view on these two religious groups popular in his day and how they read it? We'll look at Matthew 5 and we'll look at verse 19. And Jesus in this moment is addressing directly the Sadducees. Therefore, Jesus said, whoever relaxes One of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That word relaxes literally means unties or uncouples. If you untie even one of the commands, even the least of the commands, you're going to trip over your own laces. It doesn't do any good to untie. It's like taking one thread and pulling it, not realizing the whole sweater is about to unravel. Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, your way of accommodating scripture into your life, of selecting the parts that might fit you well, rather than fitting your life into his word, that is completely unacceptable. That is not what God intended. That is not what God meant. And you're misusing the word. Imagine in this moment as he is dressing down the Sadducees among this crowd on this hillside, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine the smugness of the Pharisees sitting there. (laughs) They put two and two together, they know what he's addressing the uncoupling, untying, the relaxing, the setting aside, even the least of the command, they're sitting there thinking, "Mm mm-hmm, it's about time they got their own. It's about time someone called them out, those aristocratic, strident individuals that keep lording over the people. But the Pharisee's not off the hook either. Look what he says next in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All that external righteousness of the Pharisees wasn't any more effective than the accommodation of the Sadducees. As John Ortberg says, to be filled with knowledge about the Bible, but to be unwashed by it is worse than not knowing it at all. Jesus doubled down on this, on this indictment of these Pharisees, in particular in John 5, when he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So... If the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these two religious sects of Jesus' day, were missing it when it came to Scripture, then how did Jesus view Scripture? He shows us a better way. Look back at verse 17 of Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, Jesus said, or the prophets, which again, is addressing the Sadducees in specific because they didn't really believe the prophets to be something needed to be fulfilled. They had already excluded it as their sacred from their sacred text. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. That word abolish is where we could get our word deconstruct. It's to disassemble take apart, to eradicate, to level to the ground. I didn't come to bring it down, but I came to fulfill it. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. After this disapproving of how the Sadducees and Pharisees viewed scripture, he gives us the way that we should view scripture when he says, but whoever does them and teaches them the commandments of the Lord will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is exactly what Jesus did he left that sermon, came down off that mount and went about doing, practicing and teaching the commandments of the Lord. And with the Holy Spirit bringing life to people as it captured their attention, brought freedom to their hearts, healed their bodies and gave them vision beyond what they had seen before. That's what Jesus does through his written word. He does the word of God and he preaches the word of God. And in so doing, he is fulfilling every part of God's scripture. By making it clear that he was the embodiment of all scripture, as we've talked about the last two weeks, where the lens that we see scripture through is got to be Jesus. He has got to be the framework in which we see the scripture and begin to understand it. I stressed to you last week especially that that's the lens we must see scripture through and in so doing magnify him for he is worthy of our worship. When we read the Bible this way, we're not only reading it, but we're letting it read us. We're choosing not just to read it as a religious text. We're choosing to engage it as something that can alter our lives can call out our deceptive ways that can reorient us around him and his word. The point of all of this is to address our false thinking where we don't line up with what God says and where we begin to realize that God's truth is really all that matters. And by the way, his truth is the only truth. Our deception tells us today that everyone gets to have their own truth. But there is only one truth. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of the truths. Not my own truth. The truth. And so, Jesus goes down and he does and preaches and teaches the word. And he continues to do that today. His Holy Spirit, even here today, he is moving among us in the spirit. And he is doing the word of God. And he is teaching the word of God. Do you feel it? Think about it. What's he been saying to you this morning? In our time of worship and prayer and a time of fellowship and encouragement. And the time when we open the word, what has the spirit of God been doing on your heart, in your life, in your thinking? What is he teaching you even now? What is he saying to you? Because he's still doing that. He's doing and teaching the word. And as he does, he, he reads us. <laughs> He calls us up short where we're not lining up. He reshapes our false thinking and he reorients us around his way and he writes his law into our hearts so that how we live is not merely an outward act of adherence. It is an inward act of love and obedience. And Jesus is calling out By reading us as we read his word, he's calling out our false thinking and our false narratives, the things we believe even that society has fed into us, even that we think might have come from Jesus himself. But it's not true. It doesn't line up with his word. And so when we read his word, he has to line us back up with what he said. These false things in our lives are sentiments. They're slogans you hear all around the world like, Follow your heart. How many times have you heard that in our world? You might have even said it. Just follow your heart. Here's the problem. Jesus never said that. Jesus never said follow your own heart. Why? Because he knew the heart was deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Who can understand the human heart? But still... That's a sentiment that we need to let God read in us and let us be reoriented back to Him. We have another slogan. How about this one? Be true to yourself. You heard that one? Be true to just be true to yourself. That's that's all that matters. But Jesus never said that either. His word doesn't say that. He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, not be true to himself. Deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. What about this false narrative? Believe in yourself. You heard that one? Just believe in yourself. Jesus didn't say that. His word doesn't say that. He said, believe in me, not yourself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in me. No one comes to the Father by believing in themselves. They come to the Father by believing him. What about this one? I hear a lot of this today. Live out your own truth. I already kind of talked about this earlier. When Pilate questioned Jesus about truth, Jesus said, I am the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But that truth doesn't come from within. That truth comes from him. And finally, there's a lie. As long as you're happy, that's all that matters as long as you're happy. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? So as we're reading scripture, it's not just that we're getting scripture into us, it's that God is coming and reading where we're wrong, where we have false thinking, where we have the false self trying to take over and instead of dying to the self, We're trying to champion the self, and Jesus called us to die to it, take off the old man and put on his righteousness and live his way. We may believe things about ourselves or the way that we're to live our lives, but it's what Jesus says that we must believe, not what the world says. And it's how God sees us that matters, not how we see ourselves. And so, one of the biggest things when you're in a dilemma and you don't know how to get out of it is to stop figuring out how you see yourself and ask God how He sees you. Because that's where it matters. That's the truth that we need to hear. That's the way out of our despair and out of our pit is to hear what He has to say about us. I'm preaching. So, no matter your backstory, don't let it keep you from the Bible. You may be far from the Bible and you may have lots of questions. Don't let it push you away. I was telling my wife this morning as we we're driving in and I didn't put this in my notes, but I think I'll share it. Letting God read you when you read the word is largely not about comprehension. It's about staying with him. If you have to understand it all in order to obey, that's not obedience. When Jesus was saying to all the disciples and those that were up, he said, I am the bread of life. And he said, you have to eat me. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You got to know for the Jewish audience, that was offensive. It was scandalous and it was worthy of death in their mind. Because of their understanding of the law, for him to say, I am the bread of life, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it caused many of them to leave. The crowds flooded out. As quickly as they came, they went leaving for the doors, heading for the aisles. And he looked at his disciples and he said to them, do you wanna go also? And the truth is they did, but they didn't. They didn't go. They didn't understand what he was saying. They couldn't understand his word. It was offensive to them too. You might read something in the Bible that offends you, that you think that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like a loving God. The issue is not whether you comprehend it. The issue is whether you'll stick with him or not. And so they're standing there looking at him and all of them are kind of like, yeah, we kind of do. And Peter finally stood up and said, but where would we go? You have the words of life. We don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. It sounds so crazy to us, but we're not going anywhere. And when you read the word and it doesn't make sense to you, and it seems offensive to you, and you can't seem to line it up with whether a a loving God would do that or not, don't go anywhere. You may not understand, but he still has the words of life. Here's what happened. Days later, maybe weeks, months, they were sitting all around a table on the night that which he was betrayed. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took a cup that they were used to drinking around the Passover and he held it up and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood for the remission of your sins. And the next day they would see the body of their broken savior hanging on a cross And when he came back to life and broke the bread with them again, they understood what he meant when he said, I am the bread of life. You may not understand it today, and you may not understand it tomorrow or next year or next decade, but don't go anywhere. God is faithful to his word, and he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill every single part of it. Let me close with this from Andrew Wilson. Ultimately, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ, the man who is God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, and exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he acts and talks as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. May we as his disciples not go anywhere. May we pick it up and read it And let it read us. And may we who have ears to hear, let us hear and obey. And the living word of God will for always be true to us. Amen. That alarm going off, I thought Jesus was trying to get my attention. This is my lovely wife, Donna, and we're gonna share a few more moments and then pray for all of us.
1: I just wanted to read, Oops, am there? I just wanted to read um, a portion of scripture from 2 Timothy 2.15. And I've taken the liberty of reading about 20 different translations and putting it all into one verse because they use different words and I think they're all amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it says, make every effort, work hard, diligently study, so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval as a tested worker who does not need to be ashamed, a worker who accurately handles the word of truth, who straightforwardly, correctly explains and skillfully teaches the word of truth. Hmm. That's my prayer for me and for us. Yes. That we would put in the time. Now. That we would exercise ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally in letting his word read us as we are reading it. So that when it's time we have an accurate, a straightforward, a truthful response to him, and to anybody else that comes to us seeking, looking, That's asking, so good.
0: straightforwardly, correctly explains and skillfully teaches the word of truth. May that be said of
1: us. Yes. Let's pray. Father, the the depth of your gift us in the written word, backed up by the living word, is really beyond our ability to grasp. We can see that it's good. We can acknowledge that it comes from you, but to really grasp it is a life of relating to you, even through eternity. Thank you for the gift of the word. Thank you that it's the realest real. Not our experience or our feelings or our motives or our character, but that what you say, we would choose to believe your report. Yes, Lord. We want to meet you in the word. And we want you to come in and reside in us and divide flesh from spirit Mm -hmm. and right from inaccurate. Thank you for this invitation. Yes, Lord. It's one you make continuously. Yes, you do. But we're aware that it's to us today and we want to respond. We want to believe, we want to obey And we want to create a habit of hearing you and letting your word transform us. Yes, Lord.
0: Lord, I pray for anyone who's here this morning or listening to this at some other point, wherever they are, that's had difficulty when they read the Bible. That has been offended, assaulted, disconcerted. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would come and knock on their door of their heart, that they would they would give opening, Lord, to you and your Word. They would invite you in. And they would even raise the questions, Lord. But more than anything else, you would capture their heart in such a way that the disciples who said, where else would we go? That would be what we all say, Lord. No matter how or what our past experience has been, we would come to a place of recognizing that you, the living word, have the words of life. And there's nowhere else we can go to get that. It's the very thing we need, even if we don't understand. And I pray, Lord, for all of us, those that are students of the word and those that have just dabbled in it, may you put a hunger, Lord, in our hearts to not only read it, but allow it to read us, to examine our hearts and deal with our false thinking and line us back up with the way that is everlasting, where we receive all that we need pertaining to life and godliness, where your word is not only a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, but also a sword of the spirit, able to cut between the lies and the truths of our lives and defeat the father of lies that comes against us every day. Lord, may we be people of your word, living your word, and declaring your word to our generation. In your name we pray, amen.